Amen. Why don't you turn with me to a couple of openings of Scripture. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, Philippians chapter 4, and 1 Timothy chapter 2. We uh, have been talking for the last um, number of weeks on um, uh, different kinds of prayer. We've been using Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 kind of as a golden text, a jumping off point, which says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance for all saints. Um, we've made mention of the fact that other translations translate this a little differently. They'll say something to this effect, praying always with all kinds of prayer, uh, all different manner of prayer, one translation says. But you could well understand that even with the King James translation, uh, that's got to be more than just one kind of prayer that he's talking about or else he wouldn't have said all prayer. He just would have said praying and making supplication. So the fact that he identifies all prayer tells us that there are different kinds of prayer. And we've looked at some of those different uh, different types of prayer and what the Bible has to say about them. And there are many other or several other kinds that we haven't yet gotten to, and we will get to them, uh, Lord willing. But we started a couple of weeks ago talking about one uh, aspect of prayer uh, called supplication. And uh, I think we've covered it for the last two weeks, two Wednesday nights, but I'm just not satisfied to leave it where it is. So I'm going to uh, talk about supplication part three. Is that all right? Um, again, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 it says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We made the, uh, the comment before, maybe several times now, but I think it bears repetition. Supplication must be a unique kind of prayer or else he would have just grouped it in with all prayer. Yet it seems to be an area of prayer that very people know little, that, that hardly anybody knows anything about. I didn't. And I was looking for answers. I was trying to get some information about it and, uh, and, and wasn't satisfied. So it's been, uh, it's been a topic of my interest. It's been a matter of study for um, almost 35 years. And I don't know everything about it yet that I want to know. But there are some things that I found out. And to be perfectly honest with you, I found out more by praying than I did by reading the Word. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. Compare that with Ephesians 6.18. It says, be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious. Don't fret about anything, another translation says. But in everything, if you're not going to worry, what are you going to do? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, notice the comparison between Ephesians 6.18 and Philippians 4.6. Paul is saying the context is put on the armor of God so that you are ready or prepared to pray. Now, when he's talking about praying, he's talking about praying in two different fronts. Praying for yourself and praying for other believers. Ephesians 6.18 again says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. That doesn't mean in other tongues. It can be. It can, be in, uh, can include praying in other tongues. But that's not the exclusively what he's talking about here. Even though 1 Corinthians 14 talks about he that prayeth in an unknown tongue uh, is, is praying in the Spirit. But that's not exclusively what he's talking about here. Another translation says motivated by the Holy Spirit. See, for example, one type of prayer is the prayer of faith, and you can't pray that in other tongues because you can't exercise faith for something that you don't know what you're uh, exercising faith toward. You can't pray without uh, pray the prayer of faith without knowing what you're praying because faith is based on the will of God, knowledge of the will of God, and therefore praying based on God's word. You have to pray that in your understanding. You have to pray that in a known language in order to pray that prayer of faith. Now, you may add praying with tongues to it. So praying in the Spirit, praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, he's talking about you praying for you. 
Because if he wasn't, he wouldn't have made the designation and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. He wouldn't have made the distinction about praying for yourself and versus praying for other people. So notice that you can make supplication for yourself. Philippians 4, 6 says exactly the same thing. Now there it doesn't talk about praying for somebody else. It just talks about you praying for you. And it says, let, uh, uh, it says be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Notice you add thanksgiving to it. Let your request be made known unto God. Now I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let's look at another verse of scripture. And I want to make a comparison between all three of these so that we get a, a good idea an overview at least, of what supplication involves. Notice what Paul said. Paul's writing to Timothy. And he said, Timothy's his son in the faith. He's a minister. He said that he left him at Ephesus. So he's pastoring at Ephesus at the time this letter is written. And he says in chapter 2, verse 1, I exhort therefore that first of all, everybody say first. That means he wants you to do this first thing. First of all, supplications prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now, what all men is he talking about? Well, he explains that in verse 2. He says, for kings and for all that are in authority. And then he tells why. So that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. God apparently wants us to live in peace. All the turmoil and the, the wars and all the stuff that's going on around the world, that's not God's plan. God wants us to live in peace. Why? Verse 4, because God will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Notice the connection between peace and people getting saved. I I wish, I I truly wish, and I I say things about it from time to time, and and, uh, and, and some people don't like it, and 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 uh, and I'm not. I don't try to stir up controversy. I don't try to stir up trouble. I don't try to offend people. I've always made a joke. There's no point in me trying. It comes so easily to me. I don't have to go out of my way to do that. But I really don't. I don't try to offend people by things. But if the Lord puts something on my heart to say, it doesn't matter to me if it hair lips the devil. I'm going to do it. You know, that's kind of an Alabama phrase. You know what that means, don't you? That means it doesn't matter to me what. I'm just going to do whatever the Lord speaks to me to do. But I really wish that the church would have the wisdom to recognize what's going on in the world around them and why. See, the church is so tied up in political politics and, or, uh, politics and political parties, what I'm trying to say, that they don't recognize what the devil's doing versus what God's doing. See, you've got Christians that are at odds with other Christians Arguing about, well, I'm a Democrat, so, so I believe in higher taxes. I believe the government ought to do this. I believe the government ought to do this. Somebody else says, well, I'm a Republican, and I don't believe that the government ought to control this, that, and the other. Well, folks, as far as God's perspective is concerned, higher taxes means you don't have control. It's just that simple. The more money the government takes from you means the less control you have. The less control of your own finances you have means you have less to give when the Lord puts it on your heart to give, which means the gospel doesn't go forward in times of higher taxes like it would when people are free. Now, I know people get upset about that. Same thing's true where wars are concerned. Some people will say, oh, but look at the wars and look at how people got saved because they were scared. Well, did they stay in fellowship with God? I mean, I'm all for people getting saved, but scaring them out of hell is not, the, is not really the, the best way to get people saved. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. And people don't recognize what's going on around them or why. 
And it's so aggravating. It's so aggravating to me because you get Christians at odds with one another arguing politics when they ought to be arguing about the Bible and standing on the same side of the issue. Well, thank you for your enthusiastic support. It's true. It's absolutely true. The devil wants to control you any way he can, politically, financially, spiritually. He wants to put restrictions on you so that you do not have the freedom to obey God. And folks, that is the definition of prosperity. Freedom to do what God tells you to do. That's what prosperity is all about. That's what the prosperity message, as far as the Bible is concerned, is all about. It may not be the prosperity message that everybody's teaching. But that's what prosperity is and what it's for as far as God is concerned. Okay, back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Notice it says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So what do we see? We see prayers mentioned both personal and for other believers in Ephesians 6.18. Prayers and supplications. We see prayers and supplications being made for yourself. Uh, instruction about making prayers and supplications for yourself in Philippians 4.6. Now we see that there are four different types of prayers or categories of prayer that Paul is encouraging Timothy to engage in. First one, supplication. Second one's prayer. Now this word prayer means all kinds, different kinds of prayer, just like Ephesians 6.18 does. Then he says intercessions and giving of thanks be uh, made for all men. So he's talking about four different things. Now, I, I think I've said this before, but if I haven't, well, even if I have, I need to say it again. We have a habit many times of taking things apart for the purpose of defining them so that people can have an understanding of what they are. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where it talks about the gifts of the Spirit as most people refer to them. Actually, it's, uh, the, the technical term would be manifestations of the Spirit. Not gifts, manifestations. Some of them are gifts, but not all of them. But they are all, all manifestations. And we'll take them apart for the purpose of defining them We'll use different examples to, to show how they work and, and, uh, and what God has done with them in the past so that people would have an understanding of what they are and how they, how they operate. But many times, maybe even most of the time, you don't have just one manifestation of the Spirit. They work together. As a matter of fact, the Bible says the Holy Spirit uh, divides them severally. That means more than one. Severally, as he wills. So it's very seldom, to be honest with you, it's very seldom that a manifestation of the Spirit will operate where just one manifestation is, is in play and not something else connected with it. For example, if God gives somebody revelation, supernatural revelation, the word of knowledge, that there's a, a demonic activity or that there's something that, some work of the devil that's going on, what good would that do if he didn't give you the power to deal with it? So many times the word of knowledge will work together with the gift of faith. Or a gift of healing. You'll see that a lot of times where somebody will say, well, uh, I'm impressed by the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit shows me that there's somebody here that's got this condition. Somebody's got knee trouble. Somebody's got back trouble. Whatever the case is. Well, God just showing you what it is doesn't fix it. And many times they don't even recognize that there is another manifestation of the Spirit that takes care of it when God reveals it. In other words, the revelation itself brings either the gift of faith or maybe a gift of healing in play, puts it in play so that that person is delivered from it rather than God just showing somebody, well, look at what I know. I know what your problem is. Well, how does that help? See what I mean? In the same way we do this with prayer. But many times, maybe even most of the time, these different kinds of prayer are supposed to work together. And if you're praying as inspired by the Holy Ghost, they will flow from one to another. For example... 
Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7. We've looked at this verse of scripture in connection with supplication. It says that Jesus offered supplication with strong cryings and tears unto him that was able to save him, uh, save him from death. Now when did he do that? That has to be in the Garden of Gethsemane where it says he sweat great drops of blood. Yet the only thing the, the Gospels tell us about Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane is that he prayed the prayer of consecration. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Yet it says that he prayed this three times. The first time he took an hour to pray. The second time he went away again. The third time he went away again. We don't know how long he prayed the second and the third time, but maybe up to an hour each time. So he could have prayed up to three hours, and it sure didn't take three hours to say, Father, if you be willing, let this cup pass from me. What's he praying about? Well, Paul said, writing to the Hebrews, he said that he offered up strong crying and tears, making supplication unto him that was able to save him from death. In other words, Jesus is praying about the will and the plan and the purpose of God being revealed, being accomplished, which would be him being raised from the dead. So we see there that he's praying about the will of God being done, the the plan of God being accomplished, along with the prayer of consecration. They're working together, aren't they? Now, consider this. Let's say, for the sake of discussion or consideration, let's say that instead of, even though it doesn't hurt us and it's good for us, it's good for us to have the definitions and get some information about it, let's say that the Bible wasn't written, these three verses of Scripture, Ephesians 6.18, Philippians 4.6, and 1 Timothy 2.1, let's say that these verses of Scripture were not given to us for the purpose of dividing the different ones and teaching and separating them out and so forth. Let's say that Paul is talking about a general prayer life. If that's the case, then he's saying to the Ephesians, put on the whole armor of God so that you can have a successful prayer life, praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, not only for yourself, but also watching it thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. In other words, he's saying, let the Holy Ghost, if he's talking about praying in the Spirit, he means praying motivated by the Holy Ghost. He's saying, let the Holy Ghost take you where he needs to take you so that you can pray effectively. And when it comes to praying to you about yourself, he said to the Philippians, don't worry about anything. Don't let anxiousness, don't let anxiety, don't let worry take a hold of you. But in everything, by prayer and supplication. Notice he's saying prayer and supplication. Now again, don't think prayer and supplication think prayer and supplication together with thanksgiving so what's he saying to the philippians here's how to pray now remember the philippian church is the one that knows about paul being thrown in jail at midnight paul and silas prayed and sang praises unto god and the prisoners heard him Acts 16 Acts 16 is the first time paul went to philippi so he's writing back to them saying knowing that they remember the first time he was there and how god caused there to be an earthquake in the prison, not anywhere else in town, but an earthquake that shook the prison, opened the prison doors, everybody's chains fell off, and so forth. Everybody knows that that was Paul's first experience when he came to town. Right? So now he's saying, okay, I'm going to tell you how to pray and, and pray effectively, pray so that it works. Don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, together, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. So what's he telling the Philippians to pray? How is he telling them to be effective in their prayer life? Use different kinds of prayers. The Holy Ghost leads you. And supplicate or make supplication and then add thanksgiving to it. Let your requests be made known unto God. 
Now, what's he saying to Timothy? Remember, Timothy's a minister. He's not writing to the church. He's writing to Timothy as a minister. And he's saying, Timothy, put your prayer life first. Now, here, how do I know that? Here's how I know that. Because you can't make intercession on your own unless the Holy Ghost takes hold with you. I can pray and make intercession. Intercession literally means to stand in the gap. It's to take a position between God and someone else. But the fact that the Old Testament refers to it as standing in the gap means that that person has to be unsaved. Because no matter how out of fellowship a believer might be, there is no gap. There is no disconnection between him and God. He may not be living up to who he is in Christ, but there is no connection, uh, disconnection. He is still in union with Christ, even though he's out of fellowship. Are you with me? So therefore, if we're going to make intercession, that means it's somebody that's separated from God. That means we're going to have to pray for somebody that's separated from God. How are you going to do that? Well, we can do that with our own understanding. Lord, help Uncle Charlie. You know he's unsaved. You know he needs to be saved. Help Uncle Charlie. Reach him, Lord. Bring him into the family of God. How effective is that going to be? You don't know what Uncle Charlie needs. You don't know what Uncle Charlie's problem is. You don't know why Uncle Charlie has rejected God up to this point. How are you going to know? You can't without the Holy Ghost. Without the Holy Ghost giving you unction to pray so that you can take hold of Uncle Charlie in prayer, holding on to God with the other hand, so to speak, the promises of God, which is the hand of God, how are you going to intercede? See, intercession is something that the Holy Ghost has to take hold of you with. That's what intercession is about. And we'll talk a little bit more about this when we finally get to intercession. But you need to know the difference. And honestly, the only difference that I've ever been able to distinguish between intercession and supplication is who you're praying for. I have prayed for believers just as intensely in making supplication for them as I've prayed for others who are unsaved when the Holy Ghost gives it to me. So Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, you need a well-rounded prayer life. So be ready to be used in not only supplication. Certainly supplication is going to be first because Timothy is pastoring the church. What's his main concern? The same thing that Paul's main concern was. Paul said the thing that came upon me daily was the care of the churches. Well, what does Paul do trying to take care of churches when he's not in town? He's praying for them. He writes to the Philippians and says, I make supplication for you all the time. And he tells us what he prays. He told us in chapter 1 of Philippians, he told us that he prayed for them to grow and develop spiritually. Well, he prayed that for the Ephesians too. Didn't call it supplication, but he said that he ceased not to make mention of them in his prayers. So he's making supplication for them to grow spiritually too. He did the same thing for the church at Rome. He's praying for them to grow in the things of God and approve all things that are excellent. He did that to the church at Philippi. He did that to the church at Thessalonica. He did that to the church at Colossae. Even though it's not called supplication, you can see from what he does because it's the same thing that he does in Philippi when he does call it supplication, that the thing that he did, we're talking about the care that came upon him daily, he's giving the majority of his prayer life to praying for believers that he's already gotten into the kingdom of God, praying for them to grow. Why? Because the devil's out to keep him from being effective. Just like he's out to keep you from being effective. I know that dominates my prayer life. It would certainly for Timothy too. Folks, I don't spend a lot of time praying for me. I do spend some time praying for what I know the will of God is for me. But folks, you can even see this in the prayer that he prays for the Ephesians. You remember in Ephesians chapter 1? 
He said, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God, uh, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ would give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That the eyes of our understanding being enlightened, that we would know what is the hope of his calling. You know what that is? That means God's plan for your life. Now, please notice Paul is not saying, I'm praying that your eyes would be open so that you would see who I am. No, he's praying that you'd see who you are. In other words, that you'd see what the plan of God is for your life. What work God has for you in life. What's his plan and what's his purpose for you? And folks, sadly, I would have to say, at least at this point in my experience, the vast majority of Christians never find that out. They may know generally that God wants them to be a Christian. He wants them to be a good person. He wants them to to follow the word, something like that. But as far as God's specific and perfect will for their lives, most Christians never find out. And you know why? Because they don't pray enough to find out. Now, the fact that the Bible talks about supplication as being an intense matter of prayer. Jesus prayed, made supplication with strong crying and tears. Tells us something. See, it'd be real easy for us faith people. And I, I think sometimes we, we get things out of line. But I think it's real easy for us faith people to just say, well, I've just claimed it by faith. I've just claimed the will of God to be done in my life by faith. Well, it's unfortunate that Paul wouldn't, never got to that point. Because Paul said that not only does he pray and supplicate for himself and for the will of God, he made supplication about where he was going, who he was going to go to. He told Timothy that he's making supplication because he greatly desires to see him again. In other words, he's praying, Lord, let me go back and see Timothy. Why do you have to pray about that? Because he doesn't want to go back out of the will of God. He's trying to identify and ascertain what is the will of God for me to do where Timothy is concerned. Now, folks, when it comes to supplication, again, the key is intensity. It's real easy to pray a snap prayer and then forget tomorrow what you're praying about. We've all done that. We may not want to admit it, but we've all done that. Oh, Lord, this is so important to me today. Then by tomorrow, you forget you even prayed. Well, how important is it? Supplication is something that's on your heart and stays there. It's something that's really important to you. And personal opinion, I'm going to have to give you my personal opinion because I can't prove it. You can't disprove it from the Bible, but you can't prove it for certain. But here's what I believe about supplication. Here's what I've come to experience in praying over the last 35 years. Supplication is not about convincing God of his will. It's about his will being as important to you as it is to him. And I know that there have been a number of things that I've started praying about that I really didn't care about. I knew I was supposed to because the Bible said so. But I really didn't care about it. Well, how do you pray about something? How do you enter into the, to, to praying about the will of God to be done when it really doesn't make that much difference to you? Now, don't look at me like I'm unspiritual. I know you've been in the same boat. I'll give you a good example. Zechariah 10.1 talks about praying in the last days. It says, ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. Well, when Brother Hagin started talking about praying for the rain in, in uh, uh, 1980, I didn't care about the rain. I cared about my needs being met. I cared about having enough money to pay my bills. I didn't care about the rain. He's talking about the plan of God being done in the earth. He's talking about the Holy Ghost being poured out around the earth. Folks, I didn't care about the people around the earth. I cared about me. Because I was in dire straits. I was in a, I was in a hole. 
And I needed to get out of the hole. Lord, get me out of the hole, and then we'll talk about somebody else. But right now, all I care about is me. Now, I'm just being honest. You don't find many pastors that do that, do you? I didn't care. But you know what? I prayed anyway because the Bible told me to. You know what happened? I started caring. Now, praying Zechariah 10.1 dominates my prayer life. It is the thing that I care the most about in the earth. How did I get there? By praying. And that's the thing about supplication. Supplication increases the intensity the more you pray. Now, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example of something close to home. How many of you were around in... Um, 1994 when we bought this property. Anybody? A couple of you? Handful? Uh, how many of you came, how many of you started coming after 2003? Over the last 10 years? Many of you. Okay. You missed half your life. You missed some of what our church is really about. You missed some of how we learned by experience that the word works. We bought this property in 1994. I prayed. We were too small to buy this property. We were too small to try to build. We didn't have the finances. We didn't have the number of people necessary. We didn't have the, the financial base for it. But I prayed and I really felt that the Lord was directing me to do that. And so we did. We bought the property and we entered into a contract with the, with the, uh, uh, the contractors. And I prayed, man, I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Lord, I want the right contractor. I want the right one that will work with us. You know, church finances don't always work like everybody else's finances do. It comes as it, as it comes. And so I need somebody to work with us. And I prayed and I felt a conviction in my heart, a witness in my heart. Pick this contractor. That contractor is the one that wound up suing us and causing us more headaches and problems than you can imagine. It created a domino effect. And at one time there were 13 different lawsuits against our church. Well, over the five-year period, from the time that this stuff started, we're hanging on day to day. Now, how do you pray about something like that? It was so funny because during that time, some of the people, I didn't say a whole lot. I had to tell people in the church, here's what's going on. You've got to be honest with people about what's going on. I didn't want to hide anything. But a lot of times people would hear, well, another lawsuit you know, was filed against us this week. You could see people start to whisper. And they'd say, Pastor Mike must be doing something wrong. I mean, that's not the way church building programs work. That's not the way this normally goes. I mean, there's something, something must be wrong. And so people start dribbling out. We lost about 50% of the people. Well, really even more than that, about 60%. We lost about 60% of our crowd over that four-year period when we were in the greatest need. And I, the few people that would know about what was going on, I, I remember somebody who was close to me said, Mike, you just need to pray. I thought, are you out of your mind? What do you think I do every day, all day? What do you think I'm doing? Now, let me explain to you how this worked. I prayed in a number of ways to get direction from God, and I believed I got it. I, not much of anybody else agreed with me after it was, by the time it was over. But I believed that I had direction from God on what to do and how to proceed. So I began to take steps, and I took those steps of faith. Now, I claimed by faith. I said, now, Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that this building will be built, that we'll have everything that we need, and that it'll be the place that we need to have. Well, then all hell broke loose. Now, when things are going wrong, what do you do? 
Some people, bless their hearts, some people have the idea that the prayer of faith means you pray one time and you say, bless God, that's it. I believe I receive it. And you never think about it again. Well, folks, that's impossible when you get in a real bind. It's impossible not to think about what's going on. And when the thoughts do come about what's going on, what are you going to do? Well, it's real easy to say, just worship God. Well, that's great. But what about when the devil says you never heard from God to begin this thing? See, for five years, almost five years, I spent every waking moment, virtually, that may be a, an exaggeration, but it's not by much. I spent almost every, every waking moment thanking God for the answer, reminding God of what he told me, pleading my case. I told him, I can't tell you how many thousands of times I told him, now, Lord, I know you didn't cause this problem, but the only reason I'm in this mess is because I obeyed you. This is your problem, not mine. So there were all kinds of prayers that were being prayed. I was praying the prayer of consecration constantly. Now, Lord, if there's anything I need to do differently, if there's anything I need to change, you show me. You reveal it to me by the Holy Ghost. And if I'm too stupid, make sure the information gets to me. I'll change it on a dime. I'll do whatever I need to do. So in this five-year period that I can summarize by saying we stood in faith, that period of time was spent praying over and over and over again. Now, here's the problem. The problem is this. When you say things like that, if you don't give it enough explanation, and I hope that I am, if you don't give it enough explanation, then people won't understand that the prayer of faith is to pray one time, I believe I receive, and then trust God for the answer. I did that. But that doesn't mean it's the end of the story. See, people hear things like Terry Mize. Last time he was here, he talked about raising that girl from the dead. That little baby from the dead. Well, he prayed for almost, what did he say, 12 hours? All night long? Well, what's he doing? So many times people think that praying means you're begging God. That's not what he was doing. He was claiming the rights that he had as a believer. Made righteous by the blood of Jesus. He's claiming the right that he has for the power of God to raise that little girl from the dead. And what is he doing? He's thanking God for it. He's reminding God of his promise. He's praying over and over and over again. See, there's a lot of pleading your case when it comes to supplication. Do you know what I mean by pleading your case? Isaiah 43, verse, uh, what is it, verse 25? Verse 26. Verse 25 says, I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions. And forgiveth thine iniquities for my own sake. Then verse 26 says, uh, put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Let us plead together. Well, what do you mean by pleading together? People hear Brother Hagin's story about pleading his case when his Sunday school superintendent fell down into the, the, uh, the machinery of the oil well. How that the doctor said there was no way for him to live. He sat up with this, uh, this guy three days and nights while he was in a coma. He sat up with him and three different times during that period of time, he said that the first time he said he went to sleep and, and the nurse was, woke him up coming around the bed and he thought that he was dead. He thought, oh my goodness, I've gone to sleep and I've, let him, I've lost him. He was aware of the fact that his spirit, Brother Hagin's spirit, was holding on to this guy. And so three different times he went out into the hallway and under his breath, he said, if you'd been standing next to me, you might not have heard me because I was just whispering. He said, but three different times I said, Lord, I'm not going to let him go and here's why. He gave three different reasons why he wasn't going to let this guy go he did that three different times but what do you think he was doing for the rest of those three days he's standing his ground in faith 
See, folks, making supplication has a lot to do with standing in faith. A lot to do with it. He's continuing to plead his case. He's thanking God for the answer. He's reminding him of his word. He's in faith. Don't get me wrong. He's not begging God. He's saying, no, Lord, it doesn't look like it's working. That's not what I'm talking about. He's not begging and pleading, no, please, God, please, God, please, God, please, God. Hear me and answer me. I think that's what a lot of people have the idea about continuous prayer and how that's supposed to be the way that it works. And it's never the way that it works. See, folks, supplication literally means petition. Petition means to entreat or to bring a cause before someone in authority. For example, in the Old Testament, you remember how Moses was judging the people? Judging the children of Israel and he wore himself out or was wearing himself out. And his father-in-law told him, what you need to do is you need to take 70 people and let them handle the small stuff and you handle the big stuff. Well, Moses went to the Lord about it and the Lord said, yeah, your father-in-law has got a good idea. You need to do what he says. So he took 70 people, laid hands on them, and the same spirit that was on Moses came on them to judge the people. Now, what, is it, what are they doing? What's Moses doing? What are they doing about judging the people? Well, people would come before the kings and the rulers with petitions. Poor people didn't come saying, please give me a piece of bread. Petitions were about making an entreaty based on justice. You remember Solomon, the two mothers that came? Both claimed that the baby was was theirs. Solomon thought about what to do and he said, cut the baby in half. The real mother said, no, 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 don't do that. What are they doing? They're both bringing an entreaty. Or a petition before Solomon saying, I need your justice at work here. And and Solomon's wisdom caused him to realize who the real mother was and delivered the child back to the mother. That's what petition was about in Bible times. It was an entreaty or a request based on justice. They needed the person in charge, the person in authority, to rule according to justice to reimburse them, maybe a king had soldiers that, uh, that took away the, the possessions of somebody on a, on a campaign or something like that. They would go to the king afterwards and they'd say, King, here's what happened. Your people took so much food and so many cows and so forth. And if the king was making a righteous judgment, then he would repay that. It would be retribution. Why? Because an entreaty was made and justice was served. In other words, they had a right for what they were asking for. A right to what they were asking for. That's what supplication is. Supplication is binding yourself to God and not letting go because you have a right to something. Just making any sense? How does it connect with the prayer of faith? Well, it depends on what it's about. There are some times where you're going to have to be led by the Holy Ghost where you know that you know that you know you've prayed it, you've said it once, that's it. Don't touch it in any form whatsoever. When things concerning the plan and the purpose of God for your life are concerned, that's not something you can pray one prayer and be done. Now back to the church situation. Those five years where I'm hanging on, nobody knew the situation, the totality of the situation except me. Well, I guess the lawyer did, but anyway, I, I wasn't telling anybody, not even my wife. I wasn't telling anybody the, the, everything that was happening. So I'm carrying this thing. And I'm trying to cast the care over on the Lord. And I'm having to work at it. Man, that was one of the toughest fights I ever had. Is to cast my care over on the Lord. Lord, I'm trusting you for this. I trust you to make this work. I believed you. I did what you told me to do. But how am I going to get you or anybody else to pray the prayer of agreement with me on that? 
How do you know what God told me? You know what I said. But how are you going to have the same confidence in what God told me as what I know that God said? Now, you could pray the prayer of agreement. You could pray in agreement, not the prayer of agreement, but you could pray in agreement if you went to the Lord and made supplication and said, Now, Lord, we need this, this church. We need this building. We need this for our church to grow. We need this for the ministries that you put on Pastor Mike's heart to, to accomplish. You've caused us to be here. We need this. You could pray on the other side of that. Just like Paul's praying and making supplication to go see Timothy. Well, what if Timothy's praying on the other side of that issue? What if he's praying, Lord, let Paul come. I need him. Let Paul come see me. Let him come and minister to me. Let him come and give me advice or wisdom. I need his help. He could pray on the other side of that issue. Do you understand that? I, I'm, I'm convinced. The more I learn about prayer, the less I see that the church really knows what they're doing. Because we just let people carry stuff. We don't really come at it from a standpoint of, wait a minute, God wants this answer to be accomplished. I see people not trying to make deals with God. Somebody will come up and say, Pastor Mike, the Lord has spoken to me about $100 million because he wants me to be able to do good things for the gospel. Pray with me the prayer of agreement about that. Well, why am I going to agree with you about that? If God wants somebody to give $100 million to the things of God, why don't I believe for it to come to me? I mean, after all, my life is an example of using my resources and my finances for the things of God. But see, people try to make deals with God. God, give me this, and I'll do good stuff. Well, I can't pray in the prayer of agreement with you about that. Because if that's God's plan and purpose for your life, you're going to know that and not me. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, I think a lot of times we just look at the results where the Bible said, Jesus said, if two or more agree is touching anything that they ask here on the earth, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Yeah, that's true. But getting in agreement just doesn't mean getting somebody to say, okay, amen to that. It means somebody is on an equal plane with you and has a foundation to be in agreement because they have the same knowledge of what God has spoken. For example, if a husband and wife came together in the prayer of agreement because of what God has spoken to them about the plan of his plan for their life, that's a totally different thing because they both know. Can you see it? Now, right on the other side, I can pray the other side of the issue and do often for God to bless the people of our church financially so that they can give and help support the things of God. So I may be praying the same thing, but from the other side, I may be making supplication on the other side of this, not knowing specifically what God's plan for your life is, just knowing God, just knowing that God's plan is to provide for his people and for his church. Can you see that? Now, let me show you one other thing. I'm out of time. Let me show you one other thing. I want you to look at a couple of scriptures with me. Look with me to um, James chapter 5 and 1 Peter chapter 3. I want you to see something else about this. While you're doing that, I'm going to read again from Isaiah 43. I used this uh, scripture, quoted it a minute ago, regarding um, pleading your case. But I'm going to read this in connection with these scriptures that I just had you turn to. Isaiah 43, verse 25. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake. In other words, God made you righteous, not for your sake, but for his sake. I thought it was for us. Well, it was for us, but he did it for him. Because he can't look upon you. He can't receive you under himself if you have sin. 
So I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. If God doesn't remember them, you shouldn't either. Verse 26. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. What's he saying? He's saying because, you're, you're, you, because you've been made righteous. Now, they only had a promise of it. He's speaking of the promise fulfilled through Jesus that you and I have. They didn't have that. They were just servants. But they had a promise of it. But for us who have been made righteous, he's saying, because you've been made righteous, let's plead together. In other words, you bring your petitions to me. You declare that you may be justified based on the rights and the privileges you have because you've been united with me by the blood of my son. Can you see that? He's saying righteousness enables you to make the petition, to plead together. James chapter 5, verse 16, the last part of verse 16. Notice it says the effectual, fervent prayer, the word prayer is the word supplication, of a righteous man avails much. The effectual, fervent supplication. The the word effectual, fervent is really just one word. It's not two words. It's one word, and it means energetic. But it's not talking about physical energy. It's talking about spiritual intensity. In other words, he's saying what you really care about and pray about will work not just flippantly not just casual prayers see when jesus said in mark chapter 11 verse 24 talking about the prayer of faith he said what things soever you desire when you pray believe that you receive them and you shall have them desire means a lot more than just have a thought about desire really means from your heart i really 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 desire this i'm never going to forget this i'm never going to let this go because this is super super important maybe even paramount in importance to me. He's talking about real spiritual desire. Sometimes that desire can only come through supplication. At least that's that's the way it's been for me. That's been my experience. I don't know if it works that way for everybody, but I can't see why it wouldn't. That's what he's saying here in James 5, 16. The effectual, the energetic, spiritual energy uh, exerted in supplication makes tremendous power available or available, uh, Amplified says makes tremendous power available, dynamic in his working. In other words, he said this is the kind of prayer that works when you really care about something. Now, First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three. Notice verse. Oh, well, let's just start in verse ten because it's so good. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they shall speak no guile. Let him eschew, avoid, turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it for, because, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open under their supplications. That's the word supplication right there. And his ears are open unto their supplications. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? Notice what he's talking about. He's saying you have rights because you've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. You have rights because you've been made righteous, holy, by the blood of Jesus. 
Well, how do you exercise those rights? Well, some people casually take the attitude that, well, I just believe I receive in Jesus' name. That'll work on some things, but there are other things concerning the plan and the purpose of God for your life you're going to have to pray about. Now, folks, I'll give you an example that I'm going through right now. My healing has a lot more to do with supplication than it does just the prayer of faith because it's the devil trying to hinder the plan of God for my life. So I'm in a prayer battle. Not that I'm struggling with the devil, not that I'm trying to work God into doing something like that. God's part's done. But my issue is not just a prayer of faith. I prayed that. I believe I received. God said that I will have. But I'm making supplication about it every day. Why? Because I have a right to it. Remember the old timers talking about pleading the blood of Jesus? You can't find anywhere in Scripture where it really talks specifically about pleading the blood of Jesus. Why did they do that? Whoever came up with the idea and why did they do that? Well, again, Isaiah 43 says, let us plead together. Well, plead what? Plead according to your rights. Now, for some, it just becomes a a kind of a lucky charm that they say, oh, I just plead the blood of Jesus. And if it doesn't mean anything to them, it won't work. But if it means to you, if you use that, that phrase, Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus, if by that you mean I've been washed in the blood of Jesus, made righteous by his sacrifice, and therefore I have rights in this situation, then you're right on the right track. Unfortunately, some people just do it because they heard other people did it, and it worked, and so it becomes some kind of magic talisman type thing with their prayer. I'll plead the blood of Jesus, plead the blood of Jesus, plead the blood of Jesus. Well, what does it mean to you? If it means something to you, If you know what you're doing when you're doing it because you know what the Bible says about your rights and privileges based on the shed blood of Jesus, then the Lord's ears are open unto your prayers, your supplications. Is this making any sense? One last scripture I'm going to give you, and that's in Psalm 119, verse 170. David is speaking, and he said this. He said, let my supplication come before thee. Deliver me according to thy word. What's he saying? He's saying I've got rights. I'm making supplication. You go back and you look through that, uh, that 100 and, all 176 verses of that psalm. You'll find out David's talking about, Lord, I need you to deliver me from the people that are persecuting me. I need you to deliver me from the people that are speaking against me. I need you to deliver me from those that are operating against me unjustly. You know, he goes through and says, you know how I love your law. You know how I've committed my life to it. You know that I've kept your precepts. In other words, he's saying, I've got rights because I'm a keeper. I'm a doer of the word. I've got rights. He didn't have the blood of Jesus as a right. He had the covenant that God made with Abraham as his right. And so he's saying, let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Why? Because it's God's plan to deliver us all. But some things you're going to have to pray through. I firmly believe, again, this is just a guess, but I firmly believe that this is what the old-timers were talking about when they were talking about praying through. Now, the old-timers had a real tough time. In the transition period where people were starting to learn about faith, the old-timers had a real hard time with this thing about faith because people would claim by faith the promises of God, and that would be it. And the old-timers were just getting started. It would be like, well, let's pray. And then the faith people would say, well, we don't need to pray. We already claimed it by faith. And the old-timers would say, but we have to pray through. Pray through what? We've got the word for the answer. Who's right? Both of them. There are some situations where claiming the word of God is it, and that's all there is to it. I've told you the, same, the story about when um, 
when I needed the finances to, to finish uh, school, when I went to Rama, I'd been there for, for just a month. And I missed the first payment on the tuition. And they said, well, now you've got to come up with the whole thing. I claimed by faith the need met. It was over, what, $1,200, something like that. I claimed by faith that it was all the money in the world, it seemed like to me. I mean, if you don't have 120, how are you going to come up with 1200 So I claimed by faith. I just said it as a matter of faith. I said, I claim $1,200 by next Monday morning at 8 o'clock. In the name of Jesus. And immediately the devil, after I finished doing that, and said, thank you, Father, that, that your word's true. Immediately after that, the devil said, you better pray in tongues. I knew it was the devil, and I knew he was trying to get me in unbelief. Because if I had started praying in tongues, now that's just where I was at at the time. If I had started praying in tongues, that would have been an admission that I didn't really believe God heard and answered my prayer. So I just said out loud, nope. I will not pray one second about this in other tongues. And I struggled all week long trying to keep from praying about this thing in other tongues. But it was a matter of faith. There are some times where you need to pray it and stand your ground. That's it. Bless God. It's done. There are other times, particularly where the plan of God for your life is concerned, where you need to make supplication. You need to hang on. That doesn't mean you're in unbelief. That doesn't mean you don't believe God heard you. But you need to add to your faith supplication. I believe that's what Paul is saying both to the Ephesian church and to the Philippian church and to Timothy. He's saying pray and make supplication. Paul certainly did. He did that for himself. He did that for the churches that he had founded. And he seemed to work for him pretty well. Let my supplication come before you, Lord. Deliver me according to your word. Let's pray.